Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features Mariam Master. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To us, you broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made in this country. Today, I'm joined on the show by Mariam Master. Mariam's a screenwriter, a playwright, an author, and she's joining us with her new novel, No Words. Year six is meant to be a time of change, taking on new challenges, conquering the... <laughs> Hero has always struggled to live up to her name, but this time she has to remind herself it's not just about her. Her friend Aria is being bullied by the biggest doofus in the school and it's up to Hero and her friend Jazz to help him. Aria can't talk, or at least he doesn't talk at school, and that means that there's a lot Hero doesn't know about him yet. Aria's past is part of the reason. He arrived in Australia having lost so much. There's nothing Hero can do to change the past, but maybe together they can all conquer their future. Join me as we discover Mariam Master's No Words. It's this incredible uh, middle grade novel. And there is also some very special appearances in the show. Look, I've, I've left them in the recording because I think they're incredibly fun. So join me and Mariam as we discover No Words. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? It is terrific to be talking to you this morning. I'm doing really great. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for now joining. Now I have um, my puppy here. That's okay. I've got my cat. So as long as they don't meet on screen, uh, I they think we'll be fine. Be quiet. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to apologise in advance for some barking if it happens. But he's a very quiet guy. But oh, look. I mean, I'm I'm not going to presume that you are a religious listener to my um my podcast or radio program. But you um if you were, you would have known that I do get the occasional guest appearance by one of my cats. Oh, great. And in fact, um, in their role as editorial assistant, one has pretty much been sitting on my keyboard all morning. <laughs> Fantastic. I so love I, it. We'll just blame any anything that I, I miss. Anything that goes wrong, it's the cat and the dog. Well, any any mis, misspeaks or otherwise that come into my questions, I'm just going to say, well, that was clearly because I only had one arm to type with. <laughs> yep. Sounds good to me. And, um, well, the last thing to say would be I'm going to jump in. I'm, we are pre-recording, so, you know, if the dog does need to be let out of the room or the kettle boils. <laughs> we'll pa- pause, we've, okay. We've got, we've got that opportunity. Great. All right, here we go. It is my great pleasure to be welcoming to the show Mariam Master. Uh, now, Mariam's a screenwriter, playwriter and author. She has adapted David Walliams' books for the stage, written for shows like Home and Away and Blinky Bill, Mariam is the author of Exit Through the Gift Shop, and today she is joining us with her new novel, No Words. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be uh, having you join me on the show. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. This is such a gorgeous book. I didn't mention this is uh, YA, young adult, and as I always inevitably say when I'm reading just one fabulous YA novel, don't let the Y put you off. If you are an... (laughs) We see. We don't say old at old adult, do we? Nobody wants to be called old. <laughs> no, we don't. But I loved it. I got so much out of it. And you write these incredible young characters, but also um, 
old adult characters. So let me let me introduce the book to people and open this up to as wide an audience as possible. Hero always feels like she's struggling to live up to her name, but this time she has to remind herself it's not about her. Her friend Arya needs help. He's being bullied by the biggest doofus in the school. Arya can't talk. At least he doesn't talk at school. And that means there's a lot Hero doesn't know about him yet. But Arya needs help, and so Hero will team up with her best friend Jazz to save the day. The big question, though, is a slam poetry competition really the best way to get Arya back on top? Um, this is this is just such a gorgeous unfolding narrative as we learn so much about each of these characters. Let's start off, take me to high school. It's both a trope and a truism that in high school you need to find your tribe. So can you introduce us to the motley crew of Hero, Arya and Jazz? Absolutely. Um, before I do, though, Andrew, I want to say it's actually um, it's called middle grade. It's technically not YA, although I just think uh, my publishers say nine years old plus. So upper primary, early high school, but really I think grown-ups. Can read it too. I always and I always forget. There's um, genres and categories splinter. I mean, if yes. I, if I were to say MA, like you know, middle, I just like that. That was always a classification for when you grew up. When I was a, a kid, but uh, yes, middle grade. Middle, yeah. Look, anyone. We're, we're in year seven, aren't we? The characters in the book are year seven, yeah. but I think for readers, you know, year five, year six, year seven, year eight and above, mm. I think it would work for. But, yes, we have Hero, as you said. Well, um, yeah, she she's she doesn't feel like a hero at all. Um, what was your question? <laughs> you, I was you just hoping, could you, could you introduce us to this incredible, incredible ensemble cast because they are so unique and so wonderful um they're, they're really our entry point into this incredible oh. story that you weave yeah thanks Andrew. i kind of fell in love with them as as i was writing it you know it's funny when you uh, develop characters initially you don't really know them you know you write down little characteristics about you know okay this this child doesn't speak all right we'll put that aside and and this this girl her name is hero but she really doesn't feel like it so you write little sketches and especially because of my tv background i like to write character breakdowns before i even start mm-hmm. writing a novel but um it is like getting to know people it's like making friends so oh wow that's my dog barking can we pause one sec we can absolutely pause oh i'm sorry no, no, hang, on, hang on hang on if he can't see outside, then he won't. Um, but but I, I might have to take him out. This Go is bad, it. isn't it? No. I told you. This is, I, I don't know why I thought I could get away with it. I'm going to put him out and I'll be right back. Is that okay? Go for your life. No worries. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Let me lead you in with the question again. Okay, let's do that again. All right. Take me to high school, Mariam. It's both a trope and a truism. That in high school, you need to find your tribe. Can you introduce us to the motley crew of Hero, Aria and Jazz? Yes, yes, yes. I love these guys. I, it took me a while to get to know them. But, um, yeah, Hero's got this curse of being called Hero. So she never feels like she feels up, uh, lives up to her name. Um But she's giving it a good go. Her best friend Jazz is... Uh, the comic relief of the story. She's a hypochondriac, which always helps. And yeah, they don't really fit in. They don't, the two of them don't fit into any kind of group. 
And so when they come across Aria, who's this boy who never speaks, they feel a connection with him. They want to get to know him and get to the core of him, I guess, you know, get to understand why he doesn't speak, who he is, what his story is. But they like his energy. They like his vibe, I guess, you know, and the fact that he's a little bit mysterious. And there's a kindness about him that that draws draws them towards him, a kindness and a, I guess, a depth of a kid who's experienced something that he just can't talk about. Mm. School and, I mean, I guess high school in particular can be a really complex world and, and Aria doesn't speak for many and complex reasons that will unfold through the story. He's also, he's being bullied by an older student who, this guy has a way of making himself unavoidable. He's too big, <laughs> he's too loud. I wanted to focus in here a little on the way that we can privilege speech and voice. Um, do you think it, and, and maybe not just the idea of speaking, but the ways that people will speak and speak from, um, for want of a better term, positions of power, do you think it's often the case that we don't listen well and that only the biggest voices get heard? Absolutely. I really do think that. I think we live in a society where, we're, you know, especially with social media and just even in real life, whether it's a schoolyard or, you know, boardroom or wherever you are, individualism and that kind of taking up space and speech, believe me, you know, I'm a big fan of words and speech and all of it, obviously. Um, But, yes, there is, we have created a kind of society where, we don't listen as much and we put so much value on, you know, those who are loud, perhaps more articulate, not always, you know. Look at some of the great influences in this world. They're not necessarily wise or articulate, but they're loud. Um, and I think there is merit and beauty in just being quiet, <laughs> And in listening. And I think, and what I like about the relationship of these three is that Hero and Jazz value his silence. They're not just intrigued by it. They, yeah, they they respect it in some ways. Mm. And they're curious and they do want to get to the bottom of it, but they're not there to fix him. They're not there to say, you should speak. And, of course, communication isn't limited to speech you show us um and and i'm just gonna say it the speech pathologist in me is going to start to show it at the moment you show are you using alternative means of communication as he types for his friends um you show his friends you know kind of learning to appreciate all of the non-verbal means of communication mm. we also see um i guess the way that words can uh, realise themselves through the, the story of the bully where words very much come back. Um, and, of course, your title, No Words, it's layered, mm-hmm. it's multifaceted. Hero comes to learn that words have power. When they're exposed, they can take down a bully. When they're rude, they can silence and enrage a teacher, even if they're just in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. And in the right combination, they can move mountains. As we learn that Aria is, in fact, well... Aria has 
power in his words, let's say that much. <laughs> what did it mean to you that words have power and what did you want your readers to learn of this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting and it's ironic that he doesn't speak and yet he puts such value in, in the power of words. He understands how important they are and it's a little bit of a spoiler, but he writes poetry. He's a poet, you know, so he actually cares deeply about language and communication, even though he can't quite do it himself at this point. Um, yeah, I think I think that words do have power. I think that they can change hearts, they can change minds, they can change the world. And I, I guess I wanted kids reading this to not feel powerless, even if they didn't have a physical voice. I mean, that's kind of the extreme. But that each child, each person, each human being can, can have influence. And I don't mean influence in the way of the traditional forms of power that we think of, of leadership, but just in changing a heart or being a friend or soothing a soul of somebody who is hurting you know, with our words, whether they're spoken, you know, shouted, thought, or just expressed through action. Mm. It's kind of broad. We, um, there's something that I, I, I work with daily, uh, this idea that somehow words equal communication and that if you, if you don't have words or if you're not as articulate, you don't have as much to say that somehow you don't have anything to communicate we talked yeah. a little off air about just that expression no words it can be you know with a shake of the head and a sort of a derisive look I have no words you're you're really letting someone know how disappointed you are but then with open arms I have no words you're you're being so thankful like the, even the idea that words are lost communicates so much and I, I loved that I loved that from your your characters. And I think it's really, it's really a wonderful thing for your readers. So that, that middle grade um, sort of readership, everything from kind of middle primary school through to adult guys who talk on the radio about books, <laughs> we can learn that, you know, we don't, we don't have to keep talking. Like if we stop, someone's going to interrupt us and we'll never get another chance. Words yes. or the communication underneath them will shine through. Yeah, I think that words are in, imbued with a spirit almost. <laughs> I'm almost um, have a reverence towards words in that way. I think that they 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 do have a spirit and they do have meaning. It's not always the, the literal meaning of the word. It's the intention behind them as well and how they're received. So, yeah, I get pretty deep with the word stuff, word nerd. I try and mix it up and make it fun too and have lots of very silly words and well, I don't do the offensive words, but I do do silly words because I think that they do make you feel all kinds of a range of emotions. Mm. Um, and, and to discover that, you have to know the whole person. I mean, that's something wonderful we learn about, about Hero. She is always looking to jazz and, you know, she sees jazz as this irrepressible almost force of nature and you know hero sometimes kind of looks to her i wish i could i wish i could just have that unflinching confidence but as we learn from hero we see what her words are telling us and we even we even come to understand that when she loses her words at moments when she is frozen that there is yes. still so much that she is trying to communicate and be there for 
Yeah, that's right. So she suffers from, you know, not not flight or fight or flight, but the freeze. Mm. Um, the not properly appreciated freeze. Exactly, which I think is pretty common, actually. I had a friend of mine who's a psych- child psychologist read the book just to make sure that all of the mental health stuff that I had put in there based on my own research and my own experiences, you know, checked out. And she, she, she confirmed that. She said, I was so glad that you had put the freeze response in there because we don't talk about it enough and that is a very real thing for kids. They have things to say, but in stressful situations, often they cannot put the words together to express themselves. I want to keep going on this theme because I think you do some wonderful things in your discussion around mental health. But I, I before we move too far away from words, I wanted to acknowledge the power of words is exemplified in a character whose figure looms large over the narrative of no words, but... Well, look, I, I don't want to give away too much of Arya's story, but can you tell me a little bit about Arya's mother, the way words worked in her life and, and the inspiration perhaps for that character? Yes. Yeah, so she was, well, words were her thing. Mm-hmm. That was the way that she was fighting against the injustices um, of the regime in Iran where she lived to fight for women's rights, to, she was very outspoken. She was also a lover of language. She introduced Arya to the poet Rumi when he was five years old and she told stories. She communicated through stories and through words. So he has that in his DNA. He, Arya has that in his history and his upbringing. So he does have that love and appreciation of words even though he can't speak right now. And I did have him, you, you would have noticed when you were reading, his when he's telling the story, because it's a dual narrative, you hear from Hero and you also hear, eventually you hear from Arya and you hear his backstory and his story. But his English is actually quite proper. It's quite good. And now I I did that deliberately because I myself, I mean, the story is, I want to say loosely, but it's not too loose. It's, it's, um, it's more fact than fiction in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I came here as a refugee at the age of nine. My family did escape from Iran due to persecution. Um, so I didn't speak English when we first arrived. I very little broken English. But I learnt how to speak through books and through reading. So I would use quite big words as a child that would surprise people because it's not, you know, colloquial, normal language that kids use. Um, but I think you'll find that with a lot of refugees, immigrants, that that the language that they've learnt is probably a bit more bookish than your everyday kid who grew up here. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for readers who are going to discover this unfolding story because I think in part it is a history that we don't understand very well and you show it, to us from, I guess for want of a better term, from a ground level. Um, And we were talking before about the power of words and I I think, again, it's something, there's a terrific scene where Arya's, sorry, Hero's dad is trying to explain to Hero, you know, what this idea of the power of words is. And it 
it's too often, I think, something we take for granted and then we, we have to properly see, and I think you show us in, in Arya's story, the way the power of words is often understood when that power of speech, the words that are being said, is being oppressed. And that's a, that's a very brutal and a very sad and, and, and negative way mm. to appreciate the power of words when we see that there are people in the world who, who see the need to, to shut them down and, yes. and stop them, stop them violently because yes. that power exists. That's right. Mm. When you have that voice taken away, I mean, again, there's just too many metaphors and too, too many layers to kind of mm. unpack here. But, yeah, Arya has, yes, he physically can't speak. He's, you know, for not to narrow it down to sort of call it selective mutism, but it is a sort of selective mutism. But also he has had his voice taken by a regime. You know, he has lost so much through his experiences of not being able to be who he is or his family or his mum, you know, be who they are and have their opinions and have, have that voice oppressed and squished. Can so I, I just wanted to ask a little bit about the craft of No Words because one thing that I, I thought was absolutely fascinating that I loved is the way you you twin the narrative. So you you twin a narrative of Arya's life before he came to Australia with his his friendship with Jazz and Hero. And on the surface, they are wildly different. The um I guess the 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 problems that Arya has to face in each of these uh, twinned narratives couldn't be further apart. But then of course that that is something about um, youth and I guess it, into our adulthood that we can only ever deal with the problem in front of us. And so often, mm-hmm. whether it be enormous or relatively small, it seems enormous in our life. What was what went into mm-hmm. crafting these two narratives and how did you feel as you were juxtaposing mm-hmm. them? It came so easily to me, Andrew, because to write this book, I just took myself back to 10-year-old me and that really was my experience coming here. I had come, we had fled Iran through, you know, I mean, again, doing some spoilers, but none of this stuff was made up that was in the book that uh, the Revolutionary Guards came for me on a day that I happened to be away from school. They came to kidnap me to get to my parents. My parents are Baha'is, which is a religious minority in Iran, and were persecuted, continue to be persecuted. This was my reality. So I happened to be away from school on a day they came for me. And I think also the fact that he can't speak at school, that school became a thing, you know, a place where he thought was safe but turned out not to be. Again, you know, Mm. if you really want to dig deep into it, I think that's probably one of the reasons he can't speak at school. Um, So, yes, I, you know, they came for me. They came to kidnap me. My parents decided to leave literally on the spot. Because I think when they come for your kids, that's when you go, right, it's time to go. Um, so it was very dramatic. It was very full on. And we did. We escaped through the border of Pakistan and we went, you know, to Spain and Portugal and eventually landed in Australia. And I did just find myself in this completely new environment with just everyday stuff in front of me. And that's. And as a kid or even as an adult, I think you do just put one foot in front of the other. You just deal with what's in front of you. And why I want, what I also wanted 
to highlight was that it doesn't matter that my childhood or my experience or the trauma, you know, is so vastly different to the kid in front of me, to Hero and Jazz, because the point of connection is love. Mm. It's it's friendship. It's and I to this day remember and cherish the one or two kids who reached out to me. So I did come here and I was a big fish out of water. I didn't look like anybody else. I didn't speak the language. I did get picked on. I had my very own Rufus Doofuses. I didn't have friends. I sat in the library at lunchtime and read books and, you know, learned the language and felt safe in that space. But I, to this day, remember and almost get teary at a friend of mine, Marnie is her name, and I've never been able to find her even on Facebook or anything. Um, She came up to me after school one day as as I was walking home and she said, Wind in the Willows is on TV on Friday night at 7.30. Do you want to come to my house and watch it and have a sleepover? (laughs) Honestly, absolutely changed my life. Actually, yeah. Um, (laughs) Getting teary. Yeah, of course I am. (laughs) No, I am too. I'm saying to this day I can't talk about it and not get teary because, again, you know, kids think that they can't make a change, they don't have power, but... That was a definitive moment in my life. It was a life-changing moment for me. And I did go to her house and I did watch Wind in the Willows and we became friends and she was one of, you know, she was pretty much my only friend. Um, And then we moved from Melbourne and I didn't see her again and I haven't been able to find her ever since. Marnie Matarazzo, if you're out there anywhere, come and find me. (laughs) Shout out out to Marnie if you are a listener. I... Um, yeah. I really got that this sense. You've just told, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that incredibly wonderful story of your own life. And I got the sense that much like that story through Aria, you wanted to challenge the idea that for, um, you know, for refugees, for Aria's family who had to flee, that yes, this there is this story in their life and it needs to be acknowledged, but also that that doesn't define them. And yeah, that's right. It is like Aria's story is incredibly um, tough. I think it's important to to read it, but also not to look at Aria and see that as the sum total of him, that he is just someone to be pitied. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. You got it. <laughs> that is it. I'm, you know, and I think especially kids, you know, we they have so many common points of interest there is so much more to them than the things that happen to us and every kid has something you know his story is dramatic yes he escaped a revolution and a war and all of that that's not every kid's experience but hero's experience with her father with his mental health issues is is equally to me as important and challenging mm-hmm. and yeah, I just think that everybody everybody has something and we don't want to focus on those some things, even though we want to share them and I think it's important to share them, I think. But the main message was that really it's it's the things that unite us, the things that bring us together that I that I think we should be focusing on and celebrating and enjoying and being joyful about. You know, it's about it's about finding joy no matter what. No matter what, I'm life so, throws at you. Ex- yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up um, 
both the theme of mental health and also Hero's father, um, because I, I felt like what you were discussing was epitomized through Hero's dad. Um, and Hero understands this sort of situation as her dad's ups and downs. In the opening scene, we see him in an up period treating an entire Maccas to hotcakes. And Hero kind of, she talks about how she's a little bit torn by this because she loves when her dad is feeling up, but also it can get a bit full on for her. Yeah. You show us through the story, throughout the, the narrative of no words that this is an ongoing situation and that, you know, kind of like kind of like going to the gym to work out to stay fit in your daily life. It's something you've got to act on. You've got to constantly be working on your feelings. Were you hoping to normalise both the discussion but also that fact of proactively managing mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have so many people in my life and Mm. I think everybody does who has been through mental health issues And and it is a constant And to this day, it's taboo. I don't really understand how when so many of us are affected by it. I did want kids to read it and go, okay, there's all kinds of normal. You know, there isn't just one way. Uh, And interestingly enough, one of my early readers uh, really, who was an adult and, and, and one of the editors of the book, actually, she really identified with the dad, she she said, that's my dad growing up and I wish there was a book for me when I was little to know that that is also normal. And I, yes, very deliberately wanted to to normalise. I, I just loved, I feel like we are getting better. Like as a society, we are much better at talking about mental health. I mean, just yeah. the fact that we can move away from exclusively talking about mental illness and talk about mental health normalize it that it's like it's like our physical health you're not you don't only have health when you are ill yeah. you have health all the time and exactly and through through hero's dad you talk about how he works with this and how he acknowledges it and mm-hmm. that he has to actively do things at all points in his life which was just just brilliant and it needs to be spoken mm-hmm. about more often even when um like I'm jumping right to the end, but I feel like out of context, we're not spoiling anything here. When mm. Hero's dad is feeling more down, it's uh, just accepted uh, in the house that there are things that will help, but also that we do need to acknowledge that this is a period that dad's going through. And you can't yeah. just be like, you can't take a snap out of it because I need you to be in a different space right now. And yeah. that's that's really like, we, you know, you, everyone needs to know that when your friends are not feeling great. You can't just fix it. Sit with them. Yeah. Sit with them. Yeah. Let them, let them work through it. Mm. Just be by their side. I think that's what I wanted to get across too. How important. And that's why Hero is a hero in so mm. many ways. She doesn't see herself that way. But she, hopefully she realises that by the end that, you know, being a hero or heroic isn't, isn't saving someone from a burning building all the time. It is just sitting with people and it is extending that understanding and love mm. and friendship to those around you. Yeah. Bit of a cliche, but not all heroes wear capes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the main thread and, again, like I would say if people want to walk into no words like with it absolutely clean, you know, maybe you don't want to listen to the next part, but I, I, I just want to talk about how 
Hero and Jazz are going to help Arya. They're just like, this is it. We can help our friend because we've discovered he has this talent. And the plan they land on is for Arya to compete in a slam poetry competition. (laughs) Couple of things here. I want to acknowledge that the poem you create for Arya brought tears to my eyes. Like that threw me. Um, (laughs) And I want to leave that. I want the readers to discover that. I want them to discover the climax of the book. I'm not going to talk about what happened, but it really jumped out to me. And I want you to tell me about slam poetry for you. What's its role? Have you been inspired by it? Have you taken part in it? And what does it do to help people raise their voices? I've never taken part in it. I'm not a performer. You've got a ready-made poem in the book. uh, Well, I know. (laughs) It's so funny you should mention that I was – because I started writing this and, you know, and I knew I had to have this, this, this poem, you know, it was coming, it was coming. And I, the whole time I was thinking, gosh, do I, but I'm not a poet. Will I be able to write this poem? And I wondered whether I could get away with not writing it and just cutting to afterwards and everyone clapping. <laughs> um, decided that that was cheating and I couldn't do it. And um, I really meditated and the poem actually came in one go. There was not one word in that poem that was edited or altered from the first time I wrote it, which I think, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I love slam poetry. I don't go to a lot of it, but I I think it, there's a passion and a just a beauty to it. It's not, it is the spoken word, but there is just some sort of spirit behind it that is so contagious and is so moving. Even Amanda Gorman, I mean, I don't know if you probably wouldn't call her recitation slam poetry, but the way she did that inaugural presidential poem, I mean, it moves it moves your soul, doesn't it? I just wanted to incorporate that somehow, and I did think that, again, spoilers for those who don't want to know where this goes, but I did think that it would be just a monumental transformation for a kid who cannot utter a word to be able to get up and do something like that in front of a whole crowd of people. So I I knew I had to get him there and um, took deep breaths as I wrote each part to sort of make it real as well because it does seem it does seem like an unsurmountable mountain for him to climb. But I think that we all have it in us if the desire is there and if the will is there and if we have friends and family to cheer us on, we can we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. It is just an incredible place to take the narrative. We, we, won't, we don't need to say any more, um, perhaps other, <laughs> than to <laughs> remind people. I am, I am speaking with Mariam Master. Her book is called No Words. Um, I hope you've gotten a, a little bit of a sense from our conversation that this is an incredible, an incredible narrative set across worlds and places, but also in the that sort of beautiful small place of a friendship between a group of people. Mariam, look, I really appreciate so much everything you've shared with us today. Thank you for coming thank on the show. You. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. That's it for this great conversation with Mariam Master. Mariam's new book is No Words. It's out now from Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for Final Draft 2SER. 
And subscribing your podcast app, it means a new great conversation every week with bonus episodes dropping midweek. My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.